Wampole. The splendors and miseries of an old Bailey hack. Some cases of Horace Rumpole, barrister at law, as told to and written down by John Mortimer, with Morris Denham as Rumpole. Rumpole and the course of true love. As I've had occasion to remark before, love, in my opinion, has been greatly overrated by the poets. Take the late Lord Byron, for instance, or Dr John Donne. They can't have been at it the whole time, can they, as they'd have us believe. I bet you Lord Byron spent many an evening on his own with a poached egg and the Times crossword puzzle. However, there's no doubt that my client, the young schoolmaster Ransom, suffered terribly from the effects of love. The trouble began when he and his class were reading Romeo and Juliet, and the part of Juliet was taken by a personable young lady called Francesca Capstick. How camest thou hither? Tell me, and wherefore? The orchard walls are high, and hard to climb, and the place is death, considering who thou art, if any of my kinsmen find thee here. With love's light wings did I o'erperch these walls, for stony limits cannot hold love out, and what love can do... That dares love attempt. <laughs> Moresby. Just because you have a tin ear, Charles Moresby. Just because your sole ambition is to end your days as a chartered accountant. Don't spoil the pleasure of the other members of the class who may actually care just a little for the poetry of Shakespeare. And for love. Yes, Francesca? By whose direction foundst thou out this place? By love, who first did prompt me to inquire, he lent me counsel and I lent him eyes. I am no pilot, yet wert thou as far as that vast... What, what's this? As that vast shore, shore uh, washed with the furthest sea, I would adventure for such merchandise. And this, Mr. Ransom, was in a letter you wrote to your 15-year-old pupil, Miss Francesca Capstick. Hmm? It is Shakespeare, Mr. Rumpole. Quite. I have your headmaster's statement, Mr. Ransom. Apparently this girl, Francesca, confessed to him. He grilled her. She's only a child. Yeah, I don't think we'd better dwell on that aspect of her character, Mr. Ransom. She confessed that intimacy had taken place between you, thus making you guilty in view of her age of unlawful carnal knowledge. What's lawful carnal knowledge, I wonder? <laughs> I suppose it's marriage. <laughs> now, she told him that it happened at the house of a friend of yours in Hampstead after you'd taken her to a concert in an Italian restaurant. She says your friends were away for the night. Hmm? Singletons. Yes, yeah. they were in France. Yes, and on other occasions, in your Ford Capri, parked in a wood near St Albans, and in the art room after a school dance. That's not true. Isn't it? It would have been impossible. There's no lock on the art room door. Were you looking for one, Mr. Ransom? Uh, perhaps, Mr. Rumpel. Uh, yes, Mr. Grayson. As the instructing solicitor, I should explain, Mr. Ransom has thought the matter over extremely carefully and he has decided to plead guilty. Oh. Well, she told the old boy we did it, didn't she? Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make you guilty. You think not? Oh, fantasy. That's why she said that. Pure fantasy. You think that's possible? Oh, of course. I mean... Young people, persons reading poetry, well, naturally it stimulates the imagination. I'll have to educate the trial judge, who may well consider the all that law reports the height of erotic fantasy. 
I'll have to explain to him exactly how poetry affects the mind. And you'd have to cross-examine Francesca? Mm -hmm. Gently, to point out the vividness of her imagination. I couldn't have her put through that in court, Mr Rumpo. Now, may I remind you, Mr Ransom, of the present overcrowded conditions in our prisons? Are you seeking to add to the congestion? I know. Now, may I also remind you of the unpopularity with the other inmates of anyone convicted of offences with young girls? So easy to spill boiling cocoa on someone's head. I believe it's known as cocoaing the S.O.'s. What's an S.O., Mr Rumpo? A sexual offender. Ah. Well, of course, the client wants to keep out of prison. Oh, how unusual. It wouldn't be prison, would it? I mean, she was nearly 16. She is 16 now. Well, now is hardly the point. She was 15 at the relevant moment. And whether Mr Ransom goes to prison or not would depend, in my opinion, entirely on the judge concerned. Now, if you can tell me who we're likely to get... Oh, of course. Uh, it's in our local circuit court. We'll have his honour, Judge Frobisher. Hmm? George Frobisher? Yes. My dear old George. <laughs> Fate has spun the wheel, Mr Ransom, and handed you the jackpot. You know him? Know him. You know, we started together in these chambers, old George and I. Longer ago than I care to remember. <laughs> we did the Times crossword together for more than 30 years. And we had a nightly jar of soothing claret in Pomeroy's wine bar every night. Till George took leave of his senses and went up on the circuit bench. You think you can handle him? Hmm? I tell you this, old darling. I've crossed swords with George in almost every court in England. And for the life of me, I can't remember any occasion when he emerged victorious. A few days later, I called into my breakfast cafe opposite the old Bailey. Uh, she who must be obeyed was in Devon with her friend Dodo. And sitting there was Miss Trant, the Porsche of our chambers, nursing a cup of coffee and looking distinctly greenish. Oh, hello, Miss Trant. Morning, Rumpel. That's the way a good English breakfast in Luigi's cafe before a day in court. That's the way to win cases. Oh, well, heavens, you don't look a bit well. Are you sickening for something? Yes, I'm afraid I am. Now, what can I get you? They do a particularly good bacon and egg on a fried slice here. No, thank you. Hmm? As a matter of fact, I've just thrown up in the loo at Blackfriars Station. Oh, no, it's gastric flu. Mm. There's a lot of it about you. <laughs> it's not gastric flu. I'm up the bloody spout. And there's a lot of that about, too. Uh, oh. Uh. Oh. I don't know why I'm telling you. I suppose it's because, well, you've brought me up in the law, haven't you? You're a mm. sort of father figure. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> proposed nipper does emanate from Claude Erskine Brown, I suppose. Mm. But I can't bring myself to tell him. You want to marry me or something. Oh, you wouldn't like that? You want me to stay at home. Mix up Oster milk. Mm. Look, I've got three new firms of solicitors and a three-month fraud starting in Portsmouth. What would I want to get married for? I'm just getting a practice. Lady barristers are so much keener on being barristers than barristers are. And I'm prosecuting you next week, Rumpel. Oh, are you? Mm, spot of unlawful carnal knowledge in Hertfordshire. Oh, yeah, before old George. Mm. <laughs> My dear Miss Trant, my little schoolmaster is in luck. It's not going to take long, is it? I didn't want it to clash with my super fraud in Portsmouth. Mm, uh, well, I... I thought about three weeks. Oh, no. Mm. Unless, of course, I can twist my client's arm and get him to plead guilty. 
Was there any hope of that? Oh, I suppose anything's possible. Of course, we'd have to go and see my old pal Judge George Frobisher behind the scenes. I have to be sure Ransom wouldn't get sent to prison. Well, why on earth should he get sent to prison? She was almost 16. Anyway, in my opinion, the wretched girl asked for it. And no one is harder on a lady than a lady barrister. All the same, things seem to be going according to plan when in the morning of the Ransom trial, Portia and myself sought an audience before the learned judge in the privacy of his room. George, my dear old friend. <laughs> judge George Frobisher. Good to see you, Rampole. <laughs> I've been looking forward to the day I had you before me. Oh, I'm sure you have, George. I'm sure you have. Of course, I may not be before you today for very long. Oh, really? No, oh, well, I, I've had a word with my learned friend, with the opposition, who happens to be, by happy coincidence, our old stablemate, George. You remember Miss Trant, the Porsche of our chambers? Miss Trant. Glad, of course, to have you before me, too. Thank you, Judge. <laughs> and we have been able to put our heads together. Have you? Mm. Well, of course, I've come to no sort of you at all. I find it far better in this job not to come to any sort of you before one has heard the evidence. Ah, yeah. How do you enjoy this job, George? Hmm? Life is very lonely nowadays, I must say that it is. Mm, give you a decent lunch here, do they? Sandwiches. The usher brings in sandwiches. Oh. It's usually cheese and tomato, but on Fridays, for some reason, he always brings one sardine. <laughs> Probably got a Catholic usher there, George. <laughs> well, look here, George. My silly old child. The schoolmaster. Yes, the schoolmaster. Of course... He was in loco parentis. <laughs> Let's cut out the lad in George, get down to some sort of reality. No, Ransom doesn't want the girl put through the ordeal of being cross-examined by me, which must get him a lighter sentence. Must it? Then, bearing in mind that the girl started it all on her own evidence. Did she? Well... That's perfectly <laughs> clear, Judge. In fact, the uh, prosecution will go so far as to say she led the man on. Hmm. Um, the first letter you'll see from the depositions was the one she wrote to him and left in his locker in the staff room. Uh, it contains a quotation from Romeo and Juliet. I wonder if there isn't really too much poetry taught in schools nowadays. <laughs> Look, my friend, my dear old friend. Oh, pull yourself together, George. Look, the girl would have been 16 in another month. She's over 16 now. Is that a defence? Remind me. Look, do you know how old Juliet was when she met Romeo? No, I don't. But no doubt you'll be making use of the fact in your speech to the jury. But she was under 14. You remember so much more Shakespeare than I do, Rumpel. I've always admired you for it. <laughs> Juliet came to a rather unpleasant end, if I remember. What was it? Locked up in a tomb, taking poison? <laughs> when you speak of locking up, of course, nothing of that sort would be appropriate here. I'm not sure about that, Rumpole. Hmm? I must say, if your client's found guilty... Look, I told you he's prepared to plead and face a conditional discharge, or, at the most, a suspended sentence. But tell it all, he'll lose his job, George. It's his job, I must confess, that's worrying me, Rumpole. <laughs> his job was to look after this girl. <sighs> I'm sorry your visit isn't <clears throat> for longer, Mr. Rumpole. Well, it may be. I'm not pleading guilty, I Rumpole! You know perfectly well I can't come to any sort of bargain. Well, look, you can say that in any event there'd be no prison. Not George, we know each other well enough. Well enough for me to tell you both this. If Ransom's found guilty, I couldn't rule out the possibility of prison. 
I couldn't rule it out at all. Does that help you? You know bloody well it doesn't. Come along, Miss Fountain. Enjoy your sandwiches. The obstinate judge had put me on my mettle. I sought out my client. Ah, Mr. Ransom. Now, look, we've got to plead not guilty. We'll teach old George a lesson he'll never forget, and we'll win this case. How do we do that, Mr. Rumpole? Well, by having a go at Miss Francesca Capstick. Please, Mr. Rumpole, treat her gently. <laughs> How much is known about her, Mr. Grayson? Well, nothing at all known about her by me. You mean someone might know? Well, Martin... Martin might know a great deal. Oh, who is this invaluable brass? <laughs> My son, Martin... He goes to the William Shakespeare School. He knows most of Francesca's friends. Well, then get your son Martin down here, Mr. Grayson, with all convenient speed. At this point, Francesca passed us with her parents and a 16-year-old spotty-faced youth with ginger hair, glasses and a long muffler. In passing, he gave us an evil but somewhat triumphant leer. Tell me, Ransom, who's that malignant youth with Francesca? Is it her brother? That's C.J. Mosby. They call him Chaz. He's a pain in the neck in class. He's got absolutely no ear for poetry. It was at precisely this time that Guthrie Featherston, Q.C. M.P., our learned head of chambers, summoned Miss Transfiancée, Claude Erskine-Brown, to his presence in order to tackle the young company lawyer on a delicate matter. Erskine-Brown! Yes, Guthrie. Whatever is it? Look here, Claude. I am trying to run a happy and respectable Chambers, particularly a respectable Chambers. Chambers should be respectable. We simply can't afford any sort of scandal, can we? You know, Guthrie, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. The point is, I was playing golf a little while ago with Mr Justice Vosper. Oh, really? Did you beat the old idiot? Yes, I did, damn it. It was purely unintentional. Anyway, he made the point to me very clearly about respectability. <laughs> well, you're not making it in the least bit clear to me. The point is, Erskine Brown, that my wife Marigold sings in the Bar Choral Society. They're putting on Elijah. Oh, well, congratulations. And the point is that Mrs Rumpole sings there also. She's a contralto. Uh, uh, Featherstone? Yes, Erskine Brown. Are you feeling quite well? Well, of course I'm feeling well. Did you call me in here as a matter of urgency to tell me that Mrs Rumpole is going to sing contralto in Elijah? No, not altogether. No. Because I'm before the judge in chambers at two o'clock, and I shall need to look up some authorities. Face the facts, Erskine Brown. In the intervals between singing, Hilda Rumpole and my marigold talk. Well, I think I can face that, with a certain amount of courage. And during one such talk, Mrs Rumpole passed on what Philip Tranter told Rumpole. Guthrie, is this some sort of game? It may be some sort of a game to you, Erskine Brown, but it's my whole future in the law. Naturally, I have some hopes of a judgeship. In the fullness of time. Well, I suppose the Lord Chancellor moves in mysterious ways. But not if I come from a chambers where you get our one and only lady member pregnant and show absolutely no signs of doing the decent thing. I get what? What am I supposed to have done? Surely, Erskine Brown, you must be the first to know. But I don't know. I didn't know at all until you told me. Oh, thank you, Guthrie. My dear fellow, thank you. It's the most wonderful, wonderful news. Oh, poor Philly. Poor Philly, she's so shy. She doesn't like to talk about things. Thank you, Guthrie. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. Erskine Brown, I am trying to explain. Marigold wants me to be a judge. Well, be one, then. I'm going to be a father. Meanwhile, back in the Crown Court, I was mounting my attack on the remarkably pretty child who was accusing my client, a process which any advocate has to approach with a certain delicacy. Miss Capstick, you're a popular girl at school? 
I've got my friends. Miss Capstick looked pretty and demure in the witness box. She was chewing gum unostentatiously. And at the time you wrote this first letter to Mr. Ransom, did you have any particular friend? You mean anyone I was going out with? Well, going out with so often means staying in with, doesn't it? Really, Mr. Rumpole? Doesn't it? You mean Chas? Mr. Mowersby, yes. You mean I was going out with Chas Mowersby? Yes, I was. What about it? Before you wrote your first letter to Mr. Ransom, you'd been on a school holiday in France, camping with Charles Mosby. With all our class, yes. I was sharing a tent with my girlfriend. Exactly. A girl named Mary Pennington? With Mary, yes. Did a boy called Martin Grayson go on that holiday with you? Martin did, yes. He was sharing a tent with Charles. Exactly. And on the first night... Did you ask Mary Pennington to go into Martin Grayson's tent so that Charles Mersby could come into yours? The witness removed her chewing gum with a delicate finger and stuck it under the rail of the witness box. At last, she conceded... I might have done. And did you spend the night with Charles Mersby? Did you sleep with him? Mr. Rumpel, I'm really wondering what the relevance of this line of questioning might be. George's interruption was clearly designed to help the witness. I ignored it. Did you sleep with him? I might have done. Now, Charles doesn't like Mr. Ransom very much, does he? Mr. Rumpole? Does he? Because Mr. Ransom writes rude remarks on his essays on Wordsworth. And Mr. Ransom reported him to the headmaster. And Mr. Ransom thought that Mr. C.J. Mosby might be invited to continue his education elsewhere. So Charles doesn't like your schoolteacher. He doesn't like him, no. No, he hates him. Perhaps. <laughs> the friend you gave your bundle of letters to for safekeeping, was that Mr. Mosby by any chance? Yes. And was it Mr. Mosby who gave them to the headmaster? It might have been. Mr. Rumpole. Suppose all this is true. Suppose all this is true. And this whole charge is nothing but a pretense. A cruel joke played on my clan by this... this young woman who wanted to help her boyfriend get his revenge. Oh, Miss Capstick, your first letter to Mr. Ransom, your first letter full of Juliet's love, the one in which you say, and follow thee, my lord, throughout the world... Didn't Charles suggest you write that? He wanted to show Mr. Ransom up. For what? For a fool who'd have his head turned by young girls writing poetry? Something like that, yes. So Charles suggested you write that letter? He found the bit out of the play, yes. Really? That must have been the first time Mr. Mosby showed an interest in literature. <laughs> and did you hand my client's replies to Mr. Mosby as you got them? More or less. And I suppose he was delighted with the way things were going. He had a nice little bundle of trouble for Mr. Ransom to drop on the headmaster's table. I suppose he did. He never wanted me to go to the concert with Mr. Ransom, though. Hmm? Oh, you mean the concert at the festival hall? Chaz never wanted me to go to that. You're not saying you acted independently for once in your life. I'd found out Charles was taking Mary Pennington out. Martin Grayson told me he'd seen them together at the pictures. So... Well, I went to the concert. But not to bed with my client. Not to bed with the man on whom you were playing an elaborate joke. Just so your boyfriend would get him into trouble with the headmaster. Your victim, your poor wretched girl. You didn't go to bed with him, did you? 
I told you. I'd heard Charles was taking out Mary Pennington. So that's how it happened. How what happened? How I had it away with Mr. Ransom. You mean sexual intercourse? Yes. Because you were annoyed with Charles, you did that. I wasn't annoyed. I was furious with him. And because of that, you say you had it away, as you call it, with my client. That was the reason, really? Without love? Yes. Did you enjoy the experience? Not much. He kept on spouting poetry. I put it to you that what you've just told us is a deliberate and wicked lie. You never went to bed with my client. I did. We did it again. Just as your letter to him was a wicked and deliberate lie aimed to deceive him. Your evidence has been completely invented to deceive this jury. I went on like that for the rest of the afternoon, but my heart was no longer in it. Philly! Philly, darling. Mm. Let me drive you home. I'm walking to the station. I can't understand. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, it's the most marvellous thing that ever happened to anyone. I thought it happened to everyone, all the time, like flu. I've been reading the subject up, of course, and it seems to me that Dr. Spock is more or less completely discredited. You've been reading? You see, Philly, what we have to give it is loving authority. What we'll have to give it is bloody bottles at inconvenient hours of the night. And awful spoonfuls of mashed spinach puree out of little tins. And groats and farricks and dill water. Nonsense, Philly. Dill water went out with the ark. And after a few months, you can drop the night feed. What have you been doing? Subscribing to Nursery World? I don't mind doing some of the feeds, naturally. When you want to sleep. I don't want to sleep. I want to be in court. Court? Well, I always thought I'd try and get more paperwork once we started a family. Then I could do it at home. Could you cope with the ostomac? Hmm? I mean, if I just happened to be in court for the odd, long, firm fraud. Of course. Oh. Now, come on, Philly. You can't carry that enormous brief. Ronald Ransom. Very few of us in this world are perfect. And no doubt this girl, Francesca Capstick, has her faults and imperfections. They certainly provided no excuse for what you did. I have no doubt that you used your position and even the poetry you were employed to teach to turn this young girl's head and corrupt her morals. The least sentence I can pass on you is one of two years' imprisonment. Very well, take him down. Not, I'm sure you'll agree, one of my greater triumphs. In due course, and when Claude Erskine Brown had convinced Miss Trant that he'd make a good mother to his expected offspring, they got married in the Temple Church. We had organ music and orange blossom then, followed by a good deal of Pomeroy's Chateau Fleet Street in a marquee in Temple Gardens. <laughs> and, of course, we, uh, we hope to welcome young Erskine Brown, Jr., to a seat in chambers in New Court. Yes. Oh, he'll probably be sitting up and drafting affidavits in a couple of months. Oh. <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you to raise your glasses to the happy couple, 
Claude and Philida. Speech now, Claude. Come on. I know it's always in the best interests of the prosecution to be brief, <laughs> so I'd just like to say I'm glad we've been called to the bar. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, that's really well, Daddy, right. do pour some more champagne. Yeah, champagne, everybody. Pour champagne. Brumple. I'm sorry I had to put that fellow Ransom down. I really had no alternative. Was two years too much? Oh, two days would have been too much. You know that, Joe. I heard they're not prosecuting the young boy, Moresby. No doubt that's a wise decision. It's different, isn't it, for the young? Oh, you mean they're so much more grown up and experienced? <laughs> but your client was her schoolmaster. He was in charge of her. No, George, she was in charge of him, totally. Are you angry with me, Rumpole? <laughs> I was, exceedingly. I was only doing my job, after all. You don't blame me, do you? Oh, no, no. What do you suggest? Blame life? Blame love? Blame youth, blame Shakespeare, blame the law. Not you, George. Certainly not you. I suppose your client hates me. <laughs> of course. But not nearly as much as he hates me. You, Rample? Well, you took only his liberty away. I was the one who deprived him of the power of Romeo. I cast him as the fool. Come on, everyone. We're going to cut the case. Yes, come oh, on, That was Maurice Denham as Rumpole in The Course of True Love. Judge George Frobisher, Dennis Hawthorne. Guthrie Featherstone, Michael Spice. Claude Erskine-Brown, Brian Carroll. Miss Trant, Amanda Murray. Mr. Grayson, Gordon Reed. Francesca Capstick, Rebecca Sayre. And Ronald Ransom, Anthony May. Rumpole and The Course of True Love was written by John Mortimer and directed by Peter King. <laughs>